HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. We asked our hosts what Heritage Radio Network means to them. Listen in to hear what they had to say. Hi, everybody. This is Carrie Diamond, host of Radio Cherry Bomb, and I'm here to tell you why I love Heritage Radio. It's all Dave Tatashore. 100%. It's what keeps me coming back every Thursday. I pretend it's the pizza. I pretend it's the bomb squad. But it's Dave. Do your part to keep Heritage Radio Network alive by supporting our summer drive at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, and I'm here with my co-host, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Hey, guys. And our membership director, Hannah Forden. Hello. And our esteemed guest today is Maggie Tarnak. Hello. Welcome, Maggie. Uh, Maggie is the program associate at Grace Communications Foundation, which advocates for more sustainable alternatives to our current industrial food system. We are all about that. Woo! She is here to talk about her passions, her work, and how she got to where she is today. Uh, right. We're going to kick off the show today with rapid-fire headlines from the past week across the network, and then we'll highlight some announcements and let you know what's let you know about some awesome food events and some interesting food news from around the country. And then we're going to hear from Maggie about her work at Grace Communications Foundation. And as always, we'll be ending the show with a couple trivia questions for you, Maggie. Oi. (laughs) You got this. (laughs) I think you can do it. Um, But first, let's kick off our HRN headlines. So on HRN Tour, which uh, we published all the content for this week, um, I went to Denver, Colorado to talk with some of the innovators in the slow food movement at Slow Food Nations 2017. From July 14th through 16th, we learned about a variety of food topics and issues from structural racism within the farming industry to the importance of ancient grains and the influence of immigrant cuisine within the American food culture. You can listen to all of the interviews on our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
And back at home at Roberta's Pizza, this week on Cooking Issues, Dave and Nastasia are joined in the studio by Dave's son, Booker. Also, uh, Nick Wong and patent attorney Brian to talk about The Little Mermaid, Peter Kim's embarrassing head-to-head with an MC at a charity event, plumbing, patenting your own inventions, Obi-Wan Kenobi jokes, cooking in Celsius versus Fahrenheit, Mandarin orange soda, meat glue, and more. So as always, another super focused episode of Cooking Issues. I Tune wish in to learn be, lots of stuff. I wish they'd be more specific. I know, don't you? But like, wouldn't it be great if they talked about a few different things every episode? Yeah, it really would. They should, they should really think about that. <laughs> um, on recommended reading with Food Book Fair this week, Amanda and Kimberly explored the world of culinary cannabis with two leaders in the field. Warren Bobrow, author of Cannabis Cocktails, and Jennifer Shelbo, former pastry chef, turned expert in cannabis farming and sustainability. Yes, they did. <laughs> and this oh. week on the line, <laughs> host Eli Sussman was joined in the studio by Hugh Mangum. He's the co-founder and the pitmaster of Mighty Quinn's Barbecue. Mighty Quinn's, which is named after Mangum's oldest son, defines a distinct brand of New York-style barbecue that slots neatly into the fast-casual industry. The two talked about Hugh's rise to East Village stardom, one of my favorite types of stardom, and a few of his... Hey, (laughs) East Village is the best! (laughs) A few of his secrets for achieving delicious Q. All right. Those are our headlines for the week. That's just a little taste. Wait, I got one more. All right, go for it. It was Roberta's radio. Roberta's radio's one oh, hundredth yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> Chef and the boys. The the most interesting show on Heritage Radio Network, maybe. Fascinating. To put it lightly, yes. Yeah. If you haven't ever listened to Roberta's radio, I would say do it. You know, go in open minded and just like see what happens. But, like, my favorite thing about this is that uh, a few months ago, a group of uh, radio ambassadors from Germany came (laughs) over here to the United States. They were all from WDR, which is kind of like the German version of the BBC. It's actually the second biggest broadcasting corporation in Europe. And I was very, very flattered because they contacted us and they wanted to get a tour of Heritage Radio Network and the studio. And uh, the other spots on their tour were like the New York Times and Bloomberg and Vice. And uh, so I was really flattered to be included and also like pretty intimidated to be meeting these like it was like all the head people of WDR. And they came and I was chatting to uh, kind of their their chief guy. And they're German. So they're very they're all German. They're dead serious. And uh, so like. I started talking about heritage and this guy was like dead serious and he's the head of the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, so I am very interested in heritage radio network. I've been listening. Uh, I wanted to learn. So I decided to listen to one of your shows. I've been listening to Roberta's radio. You guys have a very interesting approach. And I was like, oh, exactly. did you maybe listen to any other shows at all, perchance? <laughs> but then, no, he just, he only listened to Roberta's radio. So but that is no. one of one of the angles. Chef um, and the boys. Yeah. Did they stay for pizza? They, they yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. They, they, were, uh, they were. They really ravenous. loved the pizza. They were a little stressed out about very, the whole thing. They were so um, hungry but they, at the end it of the was, day. It was really like, it was so cool to have them here and. Uh, we were really deeply honored that they like included us with the likes of the New York Times in their trip to New York City. So that was and super they, cool. And they got a taste of Roberta's radio. And they did. An iconic, <laughs> an iconic they show. They studied it from like a very anthropological oh. Oh. Yeah. Um, 
So anyway, uh, let's talk about some events that have happened yes. recently. So last Tuesday, the New York Department of Sanitation organized the NYC Food Waste Fair, which equips business owners and managers with the knowledge, tools, and connections to build a waste prevention plan from scratch or take their existing programs to the next level. The exhibit hall showcased dozens of vendors offering food waste prevention, recovery, and recycling services, and workshops provided information from city government officials on how to comply with the laws and regulations, as well as tips from experts on how to achieve tangible, cost-effective results. Um, so that was awesome. And then I also want to turn it over to Hannah Forden, our membership coordinator, to talk about where our summer fun drive stands. Hey guys, so we've been doing really well with our summer fun drive. Thank you to everyone who's donated to support HRN and all of our shows. We really appreciate it. Our goal was to raise $20,000 by July 31st, and we are almost there. We're so close. Yeah! We're so close. So uh, we have until the end of the day on Monday to raise $1,973, which feels super doable. And right now we also have the added benefit. uh, We have a very generous anonymous donor who is matching each dollar we raise. Um, So if you pledge now, your dollar counts twice. So So do it. Do it's it. a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer, exactly. And again, you've just got a few more days to do it. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org and go to the heart at the top right corner of your screen to make your donation. And there are lots of great gifts you can receive. You can get some HRN swag to show off to your friends, and we will really appreciate it. So thank you in advance. And truly, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. All of our hosts are volunteers with the network. We have a huge community that comes together to make this possible. But ultimately, uh, we, we do have some like electrical bills and internet. We are an internet radio mm-hmm. station. Uh, so we have to maintain our website and pay for hosting and pay for electricity and pay for new microphones from time to time. You're welcome, David. That's right. Free domain free. And, uh, <laughs> and really, uh, we couldn't do it without the support of our members and, of course, our generous sponsors. So thank you, one and all, for those who are members. And uh, if you are not a member yet, please, please check out our website and click on the beating heart to donate. Join the club. We're, we're pretty cool. And also we'll invite Join you to cool happy kids. hour no. every month. <laughs> No joke. <laughs> like, we would love to meet you and see you, and uh, please come hang out with us. Speaking of which, uh, we're bringing Books and Brews back. There's been a little bit of a hiatus. That's one of our membership events um, for a special Volumes and Vinegars edition. Uh, it's coming up August 9th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Brooklyn Kitchen. Uh, this one's actually open to the public, so we would love to have everyone join us. Um, we're celebrating two of our hosts who have books coming out in August. Both of the books are about vinegar. What a that's the kind of network that we are. The two hosts who do unrelated shows (laughs) both have books about vinegar coming out in August 2017. Um, So Michael Harlan Turkel and Harry Rosenblum both have books about vinegar coming out. Um, Acid Trip, which is by Turkel. And Vinegar Revival by Rosenblum. And um, so we're going to have a vinegar-based party with vinegar-based snacks and vinegar-based drinks. And we're also... We're going to tart it up. We're going to be totally tarty. (laughs) Don't be tarty to the party. (laughs) (laughs) Or do be tarty for the party. Oh. Uh, Doobie? Yeah. (laughs) No, that was... That That was was the last reading, David. You're late. 
We're also going to have beer from our friends at Lagunitas. Thank you to Lagunitas in advance for giving us beer. Um, so go to facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. There's an event page there, and you can click through to the Eventbrite page and RSVP. So we hope to see you at the Brooklyn Kitchen on August 9th. Cool. Be there. <laughs> so uh, let's go on to some other news headlines in the food world. Yeah, it's kind of been like a rough ride for uh, food safety things this week. Uh, and everything. Yeah, it's, this, this week is just, yeah, kind of rough. I just got another New York Times alert on my phone about like the chaos in the Senate right now. And uh, apparently everything has like descended into madness with the oh healthcare vote. But we won't get too far into that. Uh, anyway. Skinny um, repeal, yeah, my like, favorite new diet of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, some crazy stuff happened with papayas this week. You might have heard that you can get salmonella from eating cantaloupe, but also now cat learned us after I, eating like a tub of papaya. The other I day. literally like never seek out papaya. I buy a container of it. An hour later, I read there's been a papaya salmonella outbreak. No. <coughs> I think I'm fine. It was two days ago. So, okay. Hey, sicky. That's so lucky. Um, okay, oh, Cut it out. Yeah. Uh, but. That's just. Also, I will say that, uh, just going to say, no reason, but were it not for genetic engineering, we wouldn't actually have any papayas anymore because they would have all been uh, dead from a virus. So just a thing to be aware of whichever side of that debate you take. Kind of interesting, right? Fact. Um, Science. Yeah. (laughs) That was loud. Okay. Um, So, you know, Chipotle has been plagued with uh, food safety issues. I really, it's like such a bummer because I, I, they really are doing a lot of things that I really support. Um, and David, come on. That has to stop. Uh, it's no. So gross. Okay. But like Chipotle uh, made some really major changes in 2015 to ensure that they never had another outbreak. Um, but yet last week, again, uh, Virginia Chipotle shut down after uh, somebody reportedly tested positive for norovirus. Um, and then the Loudoun County Health Department said that they found more than 135 cases where customers got sick after eating at that location between July 13th and 16th. And the company says that that was an isolated incident. Incident, excuse me. I mean, this is, I don't know. It just feels like they can't catch a break. It's, right. I feel I feel sorry. And it's something like, I mean, norovirus is like so unfortunate. But like, remember a few years ago, Noma had norovirus right. yeah. at their restaurant. I can't like 100%. I mean, you can do so many things to prevent this. And um, until we have like every restaurant employee in the country having paid sick leave, we're going to exactly. keep having norovirus outbreaks. And I basically see it as having nothing to do with the restaurant mm-hmm. that it happens to. 100%. Uh, it's Agreed. just like, if people have to come into work, they're going to come in. And yeah. uh, that's, that's that what's going to happen. And it's like not, not very easily identifiable. Totally. Um, so, yeah. Bummer. Tough yeah. break, Chipotle. Yeah. Um, so, in other, <laughs> in other uh, Mexican fast casual mm. fast food... Um, this is a funny story. Lyft riders can now enjoy their favorite gorditas and crunch wrap supremes during their journeys. As a result of their first Lyft announced that the ride, sorry, the Lyft announced that the rideshare app will now feature a taco mode that activates with the push of a button. Taco mode allows customers to visit the bell on their way home. Um, it's currently underway in Orange County, California, where Taco Bell's headquarters resides. Um, whether the Lyft driver gets to indulge on said Taco Bell goodness remains to be seen. 
Are the tacos included in the ride? Or do they just, do the drivers, like, drops you off at Taco Bell as a, a I think they drive, like, they drive through for you. Okay. They make a detour. I see. It just feels like there are so many other things in my life I'd like to have a taco <laughs> mode, like couch taco mode. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe Fair. toilet taco mode. Right. Oh, no. I'm like, if I, maybe this is just a New York thing, but, like, if I paid to have a car take me home, it's because I want to go straight home, though. I think that's very right. fair. Yeah. <laughs> also, of all the things to eat while you're driving, a taco is, it's very is not sloppy. a good I know. How do the drivers list? feel about this? Do you, do you think some drivers make you get out of the car for taco mode? Or, like, <laughs> put a bib on. Lean out the window. <laughs> no tacos in my car. Some people have very nice cars, I assume. Like, especially the drivers. Yeah. I would assume some people have nice cars. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming that, like, a lot of people who are driving for a lift have nice cars where they don't want tacos in them. I got picked up by a Mercedes in a lift when I was on vacation. Yes. Yeah. I think oh. I got picked up in a BMW in Charleston. So yeah. and, he, and he made a point to be like, you're in a nice car right now. Like, in case it. you didn't know, I was like, "Thank you, totally." Thanks so, for your did information. he offer you a taco? <laughs> he did not. It wasn't that nice. Yeah, <laughs> I want my money back. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think I want to um, just break up our order a little bit. This feels like a good time to maybe um, take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to get deep into it with Maggie Taranak, my dear friend, and uh, we will um, be back with you shortly. David, do you want to cue our? One hundred Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. One hundred Bogart is a brand new, state of the art co working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Guys, also, this is the reason you listen to our show, The HR and Happy Hour, every Thursday at 5, because we give you all the top news and inside scoop on what's happening with the network. And since we just played the 100 Bogart ad, it seems more than appropriate for me to tell everybody that we did our preliminary moving of office today. So uh, we're very, very, very pleased and excited to announce that our office is going to be located in the 100 Bogart space. As you may know, we have been located in the Heritage Foods Warehouse for the past eight years, and it's been a really wonderful and loving home for us. Um, Of course, that is the office that we share with our founder and board president, Patrick Martins. And uh, we've been so happy and lucky to overlap with that team there and be part of many, many amazing meat tastings and um, so much more in that space. And so um, we... We, we did find that recently we've added a lot of interns to our team and uh, we're, we're growing and they're growing and hey, hey, I'm talking here. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, so they, they like, they're also getting bigger. They add a new freezer. So we've been getting a little squeezed in our office. And so, um, they're, they're very happy that they're going to have a little more space and we're only moving one block away. So we're still going to be a big presence there. Our relationship with them is really not changing. Um, but our new office is so beautiful and we hope that you'll come visit us there at 100 Bogart, second floor, ask for Heritage Radio Network. We will have a new phone number coming soon, so stay tuned for an announcement if you do, or if you're one of those people who likes to call us on the phone. There are actually a lot of people who call us, so... But the um, studio number stay stays the same. Studio's the same, our emails are the same, yeah. our mailing address, uh, we use a mail service in the city, that's the same. Shows will still be broadcasted from Roberta's Pizza in yep. the shipping containers. Studio's not going nowhere. Nope. I ain't leaving. No, David's sticking around. Um, but yeah, come come check out the new digs. And also 100 Bogart is a really awesome new independent co-working space. So if you are in the Bushwick hood and you're looking for a desk, maybe you work from home and you need to actually be productive and you want some accountability. I don't know. Whatever works for you. Um, check it out. They have really actually really reasonable rates for and amazing artwork in the building yeah and it's beautiful it's a there's a gallery downstairs there's going to be some really cool retail in the first floor also if you're in the co-working space there's some beautiful rooftops that will be open to everybody so yeah come come toast with us to coffee and snacks and hrn parties yeah come on hello who doesn't want to hang out there it's gonna be awesome we're so excited and uh and yeah we did like all the muscle today so just unpacking on monday and we're in we're good to go so with that, I am so excited to officially welcome my classmate and my dear, dear friend Maggie Tarnak to the show. It is Maggie. my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to talk about you for a second, and then we're <laughs> going to ask you some questions. Um, Maggie, uh, like me, has an MA in food studies from NYU, where she conducted an analysis on agricultural antibiotic overuse and strategies for reduction, specifically in meat. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has a particular interest in ethics in the food system. She focuses on policy and advocacy issues surrounding food justice and sustainability. And she does continue to keep an eye on that meat industry, that little bugger. Um, Maggie is currently, congratulations, the program associate of Grace Communications Foundation, which is developing innovative strategies to increase public awareness of the critical environmental and public health issues created by the current industrial food system and to advocate for more sustainable alternatives. So, Maggie, thank you again for coming on our thank show. Thank you. So, Maggie, uh, you recently had your article featured in Civil Eats that has gained some attention. Can you tell us about your recent piece, The Five Ways Schools Can Boost Local Food Economies? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so there are 50 million students in the United States public school system, which means there's this really unique opportunity to boost local, local economies and support small farms um, by serving local foods in school cafeterias. So the article um, talks about ways in which schools are doing this or could do it. What's like a good example of a school who's doing all the right things? Uh, I'm not sure there is uh, a school in particular who's doing all the right things, but many different schools are taking bits and pieces of each one. So we uh, give five examples of places and sources that people and administrations can use to uh, make this an actuality. So we talk about going through um, existing 
um, distributors. So we call these FSMCs, they're food service management companies, and these are these huge organizations that distribute food within schools. So um, they tend to be like these enormous corporations. And uh, schools use them because they take care of all the processing on their own which makes them like a very easy solution for schools. And the probably the easiest thing that people can do is to pressure their existing distributor and get them to buy local. Um, but I think there are a lot of other maybe better ways to uh, have school buy local food within their own, uh, without using their distributors. Like, for example, they can partner with food hubs, which is a really exciting way of doing it. Um, they can grow produce on campus. This is this like Alice Waters edible schoolyard solution, which a lot of schools have picked up. Um, there are tons of nonprofit support out there for uh, ways in which schools can use nonprofit services to do all of the sort of like transactions and make sure that farms are uh, connecting to schools in a way that they might not otherwise be able to do so. Or we can rely on government support, which... Um, is a great solution, maybe statewide or locally, and right now maybe not so much federally. Mm-hmm. But Maggie, just in the broadest of terms, what's a food hub? <laughs> <laughs> um, a food hub is really an aggregation point for multiple farms to convene, which ensures that farms have enough product to support, um, for example, schools or any large institutions. Mm-hmm. So meaning if, you know, if you grow 50 cabbages and mm-hmm. your neighbor grows 50 cabbages and their neighbor grows 50 cabbages and the school needs 150, the food hub pulls those cabbages together. Then you so have you three farms. One order can buy all of them. Exactly. Okay. And are they in New York? Is that a physical space? Um, there are a couple popping up. Uh, they are not very common yet, but they are distribution centers. Yes. And you also talked about how um, schools can grow their own uh, fruits and vegetables on campus. Um, what are some ways that schools are doing that effectively, and are, is it most effective to involve the students in actually growing, or is it just using the, the land on the school space to produce food? Yeah, it's definitely most effective to get students involved in this. I mean, really, the sort of dream is to have Um, land and cafeterias be classrooms in and of themselves. Um, And there's this fantastic opportunity to teach kids where their food comes from, to encourage them to try new things, to like actually get a nutrition education uh, and maybe even teach kids a trade. So it's a really like fantastic way to pave the way for future food system changes. Mm -hmm. And I know, um, so like you and I took a class with Carolyn Dimitri at NYU where we went to the Randall's Island urban farm and learned about kind of city funded farms that are partnering with schools to give them a little bit of that hands-on experience, but, and some of the products from the school, but how many schools have the option of having land or rooftops to produce food themselves at their location in an urban environment like New York versus how many need to rely on, you know, maybe city land to uh, to have those gardens? Do you have like a rough idea? I know it's kind of a broad question. No, it's a great question. And I think that not that many schools in urban settings necessarily have it. Although there's lots of land available that we should be reallocating for schools. And I think rooftop gardens is a great example. Um, and more and more schools in the city are using their like 
playground space to turn into gardens. So I think that it's happening and there's interest and there's definitely interest from parents and kids are excited. So there seems to be movements in this general direction. Have you seen, like in your research for the article or anything that you're doing for work, any examples of schools using perhaps indoor spaces for food? Uh, Yeah, there are a couple schools, I believe in Bushwick, who are using hoop houses, which is really exciting. Cool. Um, So I think that that is also a possibility. Um, Yeah, and I think that there's some sort of agriculture education happening in the city right now. Mm -hmm. There are a few different methods that people are using. I think uh, Food and Finance High School actually has a Cornell La Aquaponics, not aquaponics, but fishery. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. Right. Yeah, I'm curious about, like, how city schools might wind up using, um, you know, like, uh, electricity and, and artificial lighting, incandescent lighting, mm-hmm. to to produce food. We're hearing a lot about kind of new startups that are growing, you know, particularly, like, leafy greens mm-hmm. in indoor spaces. There's some in Brooklyn that are using shipping containers. We are big fans, obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm intrigued because it's a lot of schools... Even in California, where edible schoolyards started, I think schools there tend to have a lot more land on their, like of their footprint that they can potentially use for a garden versus in a super urban setting like New York. Um, I'm just curious about what the resources that are available. Um, but Randall's Island is so Randall's so cool. Island is amazing. It's yeah. really really cool. Yeah, um, and I think having students growing their own food is totally. Uh, idealistic and a movement that's occurring. I think um, we might not be able to feed entire school systems in a place like New York that way. And so we can partner with local farms. Mm-hmm. And that's a really amazing way to boost boost the economy. So um, it seems like a sort of a viable option, alternatively, and in addition. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about composting. <laughs> I know you love composting. Uh, so New York is expanding the citywide composting program. How do you feel that that's going? And are there any particular areas that you want to see growth happening with the New York City composting specifically? Mm-hmm. Um, I do love composting, and I like to think that everyone loves composting um, or should be loving composting. Uh, the current rollout of composting in New York City is the biggest city in the country that's doing it. We're a city of 8 million people, which means that's a humongous job. Um, And I recently interviewed Louise Bruce. She's the senior program manager at New York City Organics at DSNY, the Department of Sanitation. Um, And she's heading this, and she's absolutely on top of it. And she was just one of the hosts of the Food Waste Fair which I was at and was amazing. And it's really exciting to see the sort of camaraderie that's really tangible about what's happening in food waste and waste in general. There's sort of like an amazing transition that's occurring in the city where people are beginning to see the enormous amount of impact that we're having with our food going straight to landfills. So I'm actually extremely impressed with how New York is doing it. Um, And I think that it's happening very, very efficiently and fast. And these rollouts are happening um, like just they're just that's me snapping. Um, (laughs) uh, I mean, in my neighborhood, they just sort of popped up overnight Mm -hmm. and you are seeing um, curbside bins all over the place. And we have drop off sites as well as apartment bins. Um, popping up all over the city. So it's really, really exciting. And I think that from what I understand, the city is invested 
really, really intense, intensely on zero waste to landfills by the year 2030. So that's really soon. That's actually really soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's the compost situation like, like for instance, in your building? In my building, uh, a compost bin was put out with our, I live in a five-story walk-up townhouse, uh, and they, we have all of our trash outside on the corner um, in sort of like a caged-in area to keep out vermin, et cetera, which, you know, sometimes works. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and they recently installed a brown compost bin uh, for people to dispose of their food waste. And um, I, like, danced a little jig the first day I saw it. I was so unbelievably excited. Did they notify you that it was coming, or did no, you just see it there like, one day? It was there one wow. day. I still don't have one. Oh. I'm waiting. You can actually write DSNY. You can go online and apply and say, like, my building doesn't have one, and they will they will approach your landlord and basically say, like, this is a really important thing. Awesome. Make it happen. Um, and it's up to the landlord whether or not he, she installs one, mm-hmm. but there are... Does the landlord have to pay for the bin, do you know? I do not believe so, but don't It's just like having that. the space mm-hmm. kind yeah. of dedicated. Yeah. Do you, so, so like in your building, you compost, you collect it in a bin or in your freezer, and then you, you kind of trot it down to your garbage area and throw it in there. Trot, trot, trot. Yeah. 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 Um, no, that's so cool. I was so excited. Like, it happened similarly overnight. I live in Stytown, which is a huge development. And uh, they sent us an email, and they were like, you're going to be really excited to hear that now you don't have to wait till Sunday to drop off your compost at the farmer's market that only happens in the summer. But uh, all of a sudden, we had bins. Like, they're actually in our building. So I just, like, take the elevator down, and I just throw my yeah, it's amazing. stuff in the bin. And, like, I, I always, like, obviously, I was super excited about getting compost, like, weirdly excited and my fiance was weirdly excited about it and uh we've been like really just in awe of like how little we actually throw in the garbage we 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 like i have to admit we order a lot of stuff online and we get like a lot of crap delivered which is kind of bad but we recycle so much uh and then we compost a lot so what's actually going in the garbage is so minimal and uh so we're like really really psyched to see that and it just like came out of nowhere But then, like, also just our neighbors. Like, I never know, you know, sometimes I know that I can get really excited about, like, weird food-related things or, like, um, environmental (laughs) things. I mean, I think it's, like, a normal level of excitement. But I have been told by other people that I can be extremely enthusiastic about these things. And uh, it's just been cool to see, like, my neighbors, like, all kind of normal, regular people being excited about compost. And every time I go down there, there's, like, a lot of stuff in the bin. And they take it out twice a week or something. So... Um, people are using it. I'm I'm so happy to see it. The turnout from the food waste fair, I think, is really indicative. Yeah, yeah. I heard like from from more than 24 hours before that they already had like 1,200 people signed up to go, and I'm sure that the number just like skyrocketed from there because I was emailing with Louise, and she's like, "Yeah, we have like 700." An hour later, she's like 900, and then it was like 1,200. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" It was incredible. So cool. It was really exciting. Did you get to go to the fair? Yeah, I was oh, at the cool. fair, and I have to say that in terms of 
uh, demographic demographics of the city itself, it was unlike anything I've ever been to because there were people from sort of all different sectors. There was like the these sort of like tech people who are interested in technological solutions to food waste, and then there were all these sort of like crunchy food waste compost people, <laughs> like lots of nonprofit people and foundation mm-hmm. people, and then there were like government officials, and then there was like this huge contingent from DSNY, which is like not necessarily the kind of people who tend to all blend together. And what does DSNY stand oh, for? Oh, I'm sorry. The Department of Sanitation of New York. So um, when you see the garbage truck go by. Yeah. Yep. Those are our DSNY folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, uh, which I think that those aren't, it, it was so representative of the city itself to see people from all of these different areas of the waste system. And we all waste, like we waste a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see people in New York City being like, oh, wait, we do waste and I'm interested in this. And I wonder where all this is going. I think that there's a, a real turning of the tide in that. That's new. Well, we are running out of time, but I have one last thing to ask you about. And it is your love for gooseberries. So quickly, tell tell me what a gooseberry... What is a gooseberry and how do you cook with it? Um, They're adorable. If you've never seen a gooseberry, I highly recommend you find them. They're these charismatic little... They're they're like fuzzy green grapes, they look like. They're so cute. Um... And they're in season currently. They're in the current family, so you can go to the farmer's market Get and it. find them. Currently. They're currently, currently current. currents. <laughs> uh, you can find them at the farmer's market now, but they're fleeting, so like leave the radio station and go. go Get out. Find them. Um, they're kind of like these tart grapes almost, uh, but not you know too, too tart. But you can eat them raw or you can cook with them. People tend to cook with them sort of like rhubarb, like they douse them oh, in lovely. sugar. Yeah. Um, and then, and then they're totally pal- palatable. But they're much more popular in the UK, and they're very commonly made in this. Uh, they're, they make this gooseberry fool. A fool is like a dessert made with whipped cream. It's mm-hmm. very traditional. Um, but I like making them in a crisp, a nice gooseberry crisp. Uh, I love making crisps. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. You're so like, we, this is healthy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is healthy. Exactly. Um, so we have a couple of trivia questions for you about gooseberries. And I want to jump in with one that's not on the list. Okay, great. That I know that Maggie, I'm like, this is, I'm going to give you a gimme. Oh, no. I All right, go for it. Yeah, okay. But so we're going to start our trivia with this question, which I know you're going to get. What's the difference between a gooseberry, the little green fuzzy guy, mm-hmm. and a cape gooseberry? Mm. Also known as many other things like husk like ground cherry, cherry or, or husk cherry. cherry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're in different families, uh, predominantly. See, and I knew you would know this. I do. Know, I do know <laughs> this. Um, and ground cherries are these little. They actually look a lot like gooseberries in their. Uh, uh, paperless form, like they have this, mm-hmm. they have a covering that's a lot like a tomatillo, mm-hmm. a ground cherry. And once you take off that, then they look quite a bit like gooseberries. But gooseberries are a little fuzzier and a little greener. Although gooseberries can also be red sometimes. Um, and I would say the ground cherries are sweeter and they're more of a tomato relation. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Next question. That's, that's the only yeah. trivia question I'm going to get right. <laughs> you nailed it. You <laughs> never know. There's two more. So gooseberries are also known as fayberries because of what ancient belief? Fayberry? Fayberries. I have the slightest idea. So <laughs> you can make it, was, it was believed that fairies use bushes of gooseberry to hide from danger. Fayberry. Fayberry. I love it. Okay. Last question. How many years does the gooseberry plant survive in the wild? 
Wild guess. Wild guess. Um, how many years? In what climate? In the wild. That's a good question. When they're when they're happy in the wild. I think gooseberries are uh, they're pretty tough little buggers. So probably a very long time. Um, oh come on! Just throw out a number. I want to say twenty-five years. Wow, really close. You, you, I'm gonna give you that. Twenty. Yeah. Yeah. It says at, least, yeah. at least twenty years. I think you nailed it. You Woo. you know your gooseberries. Yeah. <laughs> I would say Maggie that you have officially won trivia. Oh. Absolutely. Oh. You did it. All right. Well, does anybody else have any last-minute announcements before we wrap up this week? Go get a gooseberry. And don't forget to donate to Heritage Radio before Monday. Donate to Heritage Radio. Go buy gooseberries. Go ask your building to get composting if they don't already have it. That's your homework. And then, like, laugh giddily as you dump all of your food waste into the compost <laughs> bin. Yes. Yes. After you made your donation. You're just going to be riding this high. You're going to feel gonna love it. so good about life. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our show. Thanks to our guest, Maggie Taranak. Thank you. Our producer this week was Hallie Crane. Um, as always, shout out to our stalwart engineer, David Tattashore. Stalwart. Whoop, whoop. Uh, huge thanks to our membership coordinator, Hannah Forden, and our Julia Child fellow, Jordan Werner, for just being here today and helping us move into 100 Bogart. We're so Thank excited. You. Um, and Thanks, guys, for getting down and dirty and hauling <laughs> boxes of books and random other crap. And mostly thanks. books, mostly cookbooks. Thanks to my family <laughs> for cleaning out the Honda Element this morning so that we could the toaster uh, seats. Yeah, the toaster was full this time, not overfilled with human beings. It was overfilled with boxes, boxes and boxes of books and printers and computers so that we can keep bringing you great food radio every week. Thanks, everybody. All right, that's our show. I'm Kat Johnson. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler. And we'll see you next week. Hasta luego. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Fresh Pickings is a podcast by Heritage Radio Network, presented by Bob's Red Mill. Love learning about food? Get more superfood for your brain with the featured podcast miniseries, Fresh Pickings. Go to bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings.
Are you one of the millions of Americans who have trouble digesting gluten, or are you looking to shed a few pounds by shifting towards a low-carb diet? Well, we've got just the answer for you. Almond flour. Made with 100% sweet almonds, it's the perfect alternative to traditional white flours. Alternative flours are sweeping the nation and taking the baking industry by storm. Welcome to Fresh Pickings. I'm your host, Kat Johnson, and today we're looking at one small nut's journey through the mill and how almond flour can transform everything you thought you knew about baking. On this episode, I'll talk to our resident almond flour expert, Cynthia Cherish Malloran, host of the new podcast Wedding Cake here on HRN. She'll talk about the nutritional benefits of almond flour and how the grain is processed. Then I'll invite Eli Sussman, host of The Line and co-owner and chef of Samisa, to teach us his recipe for almond cake using Bob's Red Mill's almond flour. So stay tuned. I'm here with Katie Mosman-Wadler, the executive director of Heritage Radio Network. So Katie... It's 4.30 in the afternoon. How are you feeling? I mean, I'm always hungry, but at 4.30, this is the time when I start to think about cookies and how much I would like to have a cookie right now. (laughs) I'm thinking about snacks. Well, we probably shouldn't have cookies for an afternoon snack. What about something healthy like almonds? Yeah, that sounds okay. Not super exciting. I really want a cookie. Okay, well, maybe we could compromise. What if we made cookies using almond flour? We can use it in place of the white flour, and almond flour is high in protein, low in carbs, and low in sugar, so it'll be a lot healthier. That actually sounds so delicious. I think we should do it. Yeah, we can have our cookies and eat them too. All right, good deal. And now let's hear about the origins of almond flour and the benefits of using it from our very own expert, Cynthia Cherish Malloran, a.k.a. DJ Cherish the Love. Cynthia is the host of our new show on HRN Wedding Cake, and she's also a killer DJ and even an ordained minister. So let's start from the beginning. Where does the magical nut, the almond, come from? Hey, so the almond is native to an area stretching from the northern Indian subcontinent westwards to Syria, Israel, and Turkey. It was spread by humans in ancient times along the shores of the Mediterranean into northern Africa and southern Europe, and more recently transported to other parts of the world, notably California. California, like, always gets the best stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Cynthia, I've heard a rumor that almonds aren't actually nuts. Is that true? That is absolutely right, Kat. The almond seed or fruit is not a true nut, but a droop. The almond is actually the seed of the fruit that grows on almond trees, a medium-sized tree that bears fragrant pink and white flowers. And like its cousins, peach, cherry, and apricot trees, the almond tree bears fruit with stone-like seeds or pits within. The seed of the almond fruit is what we refer to as the almond nut. So could you eat the fruit that the almond grows in? No, you know, you really can't. And when I was a kid, I went to visit an almond orchard, and I remembered picking what I thought was an apple off of the tree, bit into it, pretty awful, threw it out, grabbed another, quote, apple, bit into it, and my cousin said, that's not an apple, that's an almond. And he broke open the, quote, apple, and there it was. 
one almond. So I know that almonds are very healthy. What about the health benefits of almonds? Well, I'm glad you asked because there is a plethora of great health benefits in almonds. More than 65% of the fat in almond flour is monounsaturated, which is excellent for maintaining healthy cholesterol levels and good overall heart health, which we all love. Additionally, scientists find that almond consumption can reduce the risk of coronary heart disease by keeping blood vessels healthy. Almonds also help manage post-meal blood glucose levels, the presence of insulin in the blood, and oxidative damage, and they raise antioxidant levels in the blood after a meal. I had no idea that they did all those things. So maybe they should say an almond a day keeps the doctor away. Yeah, maybe closer to like um, a handful of almonds. But yes, they do have incredible benefits. It sounds like these nuts, sorry, fruits, have a lot more than meets the eye. Anything else we should know? Yes, plenty. Almonds are notoriously healthy nuts, providing a good amount of manganese and vitamin E, as well as a healthy serving of monounsaturated fats in each quarter cup serving. Because not only do almonds have a healthy boost of protein, they are also very low in carbohydrates and inherently gluten-free, which I love. So when they're ground into a flour, they add moistness and a rich, nutty taste to baked goods. And I'm going to be making a couple of almond flour gluten-free cakes on my show, Wedding Cake, this season. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for all this great info, Cynthia. You're welcome. Now let's turn to Eli Sussman, who is going to teach us how to use this awesome ingredient. Eli is the host of The Line here on Heritage Radio Network, and he's the chef and co-owner of Samisa, along with his brother, Max. Hey, Kat. So almond flour is made from almonds that have been blanched to remove the skins and then ground to a fine texture that is great for baking. So replacing 25% of the flour in your baking with almond flour will add wonderful texture and flavor while reducing the total carbohydrates. It can be used in savory applications as well, in place of breadcrumbs and meatballs, or even as a coating for chicken and fish. Awesome. So how do you use almond flour in your cooking at Samisa? We've been using almond flour in this really delicious uh, dessert that we make. It's an almond cake. We make it in these uh, small bunt pans, and then once we pop them out, we dust them with uh, powdered sugar. They're really nice, bite-sized, really delicious. That sounds so good. Thanks for sharing. So I will definitely be by Samisa soon to try that. Thanks to Cynthia for schooling me on almonds and to Eli for sharing his tips on using almond flour. You can find his recipe for Samisa's almond cake at bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings. Well, that's just about everything you could want to know about almond flour, and this is the season finale of Fresh Pickings. If you liked what you heard, be sure to check out all of the episodes and learn more about Bob's Red Mill's favorite ingredients, including some delicious recipes and great coupon offers, by going to bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings. Bob's Red Mill believes in good food for all. For Heritage Radio Network, I'm Kat Johnson, and thanks for joining us.